Hello there. I am Lee. I'm Joe. And we are the Rewinders, rewatching childhood movies to see if they still hold up. And this time we watched Blade Runner. Blade Runner. The theatrical cut. Yes. I think that's important to say right away that that's the version we watched <laughs> because there's seven versions of this what? thing. They don't technically all exist anymore because they've buried some of them because they're not like real versions. So, oh, they're like fan or bootleg edits. Yeah, like one's a working print. Okay, so it's missing things and doesn't have full effects or stuff like that. Gotcha. Okay, so then it's five. I remember hearing about like a big box set that had five versions of of Blade Runner in it. So they would have the working print, the U.S. theatrical print, um, the international print, the director's cut, the final cut. So I think that's... And not the theatrical? No, that was in there, the U.S. theatrical oh, international. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> okay. That's, I mean, obviously people really, really like this movie, and it is an influential movie. As yeah. a kid, when I saw it, I couldn't have cared less about this thing. And that makes sense. So when did you see it? Man, I have no idea. I just, I remember the opening of it, just the quiet synthy music score and just how gross and grimy it was, the cityscape, but kind of mm-hmm. being interested, like, okay, this is really neat, but then just kind of being, all right, is this movie going to go anywhere or, or is it just going to show me uh, <laughs> things flying around and, and models and, and things like that? <laughs> Yeah, I don't remember when I saw it either. I, I remember quietly taking it in and not understanding really much of what was going on other than this looks really cool. Yeah, it looked really cool, but I was just kind of, where is this going? I, I followed it along just a little bit. My, my memories are, I think, when I turned it off was when Deckard is investigating. He's scanning the picture and he's trying to find clues in it and yes. just how slow that is and... My kid brain was like, okay, I'm done with this. I, 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 I think I might have been maybe early teens when I first tried watching this because I had heard about, oh, Blade Runner. Everybody loves Blade Runner. This is the movie to watch. And I love sci-fi. So it was, I have to watch this movie. How did I miss this? I believe I was maybe just before teens or maybe teens when, mm-hmm. I, when I watched it for the first time. But I didn't really start like actually watching it with you know okay i want to know what the story is until i got it on dvd but then i got it on i got the director's cut on dvd so okay so how did that, that change was, well that because okay so then you've watched it a lot then afterwards and then just and until yes. now right yeah i've seen it quite a few times okay because i i watched it back then and i think i tried watching again in my early 20s or late later teens and again i just was kind of meh with the entire movie and probably didn't pay any attention to it. It was just became kind of background noise in a way, maybe. Sure. So I think that's, I really, I like the aesthetics and I think that's what helps me get through is because you really get to sit on the aesthetics of the movie and Mm -hmm. take all that in. Unlike some movies where they just rush through sequences and you don't really get to take in the aesthetic or the mood of it. Sure. Sure. So I guess that's my viewpoint going into it or my background of nostalgia is, why does everyone like this boring, stupid movie? <laughs> it looks pretty, but yeah. who cares? So that's that's and, my uh, viewpoint um, before watching it very recently. And and my uh, historical uh, watching this has always been, 
is pretty. I like watching this because of how it looks. I would just watch it for the looks when I was younger. Sure. All right. Well, let's get into the plot of Blade Runner, the theatrical cut. All right. So uh, it starts off with uh, one of the company logos that I don't think exists anymore. The Lad Company. I'm not sure they're around anymore, but they reformatted their logo to look like line art, ASCII line art, which was pretty fun and cool. Mm -hmm. And uh, then they do a simple opening credit sequence and have this really luscious uh, synth music from a group called Vangel Vangelis. I think it's just one. I think that's his. That's the composer name. name. I think that's a yeah European composer that does synth music. Sure, sounds great. I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. It takes me out of Um, the movie, but that's just me. I find it really. I find it really, really cheesy. Just, just, just way over the top. I know it was the '80s. It was '82 when this came out, but for me, all that synth music just sounds so cheesy and lame. And I know it's like, oh, future music, and it doesn't do it. It, it makes me think of like that new age space music that you sit down when you're at a planetarium or something. <laughs> but that's just my opinion. I know people love the soundtrack. I like the soundtrack. Fair enough. So then uh, they do a little. Um, introduction to uh, what's going on with replicants through text. And you learn that the Tyrell family is ruining the future. <laughs> yep. So we all have to thank the Lannisters for getting rid of them yep. <laughs> so that they don't kill our future. Uh, and it's 2019. So it's next, next year, next year. We've, so we're, yeah, we're going to get flying cars. LA is going to be a, even a larger shithole than it is now. Yeah. It's going to constantly rain in LA. And, and they're going to get pyramids. And you have a huge pyramid and going off world. Yeah. That's a huge thing. And that's well, one thing. You know, and that's one thing. We're, we, we're getting there. And that's one thing we get told quite a bit is that the idea of uh, most of the, I guess, humans have left Earth. They've gone off world to, a, and that seems like a better place than this crap hole uh, LA that we're in right now. Or, yeah. And we kind of get the impression of the rest of Earth is like this too. That's the the illusion that it gives. Pretty much that it's going to be an urban hellhole mm-hmm. everywhere. When we get introduced to this LA, uh, the effects are, in my idea, still definitely look good. I mean, they look like effects, but they look good for 1982. These are better effects than some things you find some movies right now. They did an amazing job with it, and I watched the HD version of it, and I know they cleaned it up. I think they brought in the visual effects people or whatever from previously, and they fixed a bunch of stuff in this. Um, At least that's the way it looks like to me. It looks really good. Uh, I don't know if they fixed the theatrical cut at all, but it looks amazing. I think they just cleaned it. They probably did, but it it does. I I mean, they probably got rid of some lines and stuff like that from the mats, but... Sure. I'd say it, all of it, it holds good. up and it all looks really, really good. A couple here and there maybe like, oh, but that's that's just what they, they had at the time for those effects, like rear projection and models. But mm-hmm. yeah, that throughout the entire movie, I'd say it all holds up. And we kind of get introduced to uh, the visual look of this movie at this point where there's these elaborate exteriors. But then when you come into the interiors, they're very simple. They're either small or big, but they're simple. They allow you basically to uh, just 
focus on the people that are in the scene. And right now it's an interview being set up with uh, a guy behind a machine called the Boyd Comp Machine and a employee of this company. I think his name is Leon. Yeah, Leon's a simple looking man. Yeah, I, I you get the idea that he's basically like, you know, he works as like some type of like a miner mm-hmm. or uh, some, somebody who uses their hands in their work all of the day long. And it, it's, it's more hard labor. Uh, so he gets asked a series of questions and, and the guy's rather defensive about it. Uh, the one that throws him for the most loop is the hy- hypothetical turtle. Uh, no, what's a question. He, he says, is, what's a tortoise? Because yeah. he's like, I don't know what a tortoise is. I'm that stupid. Yeah. But then he justifies everything that he says too. But, the turtle uh, question is probably the most well-known known void comp, uh, void comp uh, test question where they talk about you're in a desert, there's a turtle, you flip it over and it's dying. How do you feel about it? You know, and basically, they, you know, I wouldn't do that. Well, you do. How do you feel about, you know, that type of line of thinking. And then does some more questions, ask him about his mom. The guy is enraged by his question about his mom and shoots him takes us back outside. It's raining. There's the neon umbrellas, the neon signs, and we get introduced to Harrison Ford, and then we have to hear him talk in his head. Yeah, we're hearing the voiceover. But I like it when Leon shoots the uh, other, I guess, interrogator, or I think he's a cop as well that he shoots. He has a... Leon has a gun whose bullets are able to grab a human body and throw him through a wall that he in a chair that he's sitting on, and then shoots him again, and the chair goes flying. <laughs> so in the future, they have awesome bullets that are able to grab onto a squishy human body and throw them through things. It's awesome. Well, you gotta get it done right. Yeah, yeah. Not gonna mess around. No, 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 no. Ah, <laughs> eh, whatever. But yeah, now we're introduced to boring, boring. Um, Harrison Ford voiceover as he's the rough detective or ex-detective who's just kind of hanging out and he's going to eat some, some street noodles, street noodles. Yep. And, uh, the voiceovers that they added for the U S theatrical cut don't give you any insight. Really. They, they repeat things you have already seen. They tell you what you're about to see. They're annoying. And this is the first one. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't start off very well. It does not because Harrison Ford is very obviously bored and he does not give any shits about this voiceover because he knows that this is completely unnecessary for me to say what I'm doing. Again, I have to telegraph mm-hmm. it for dumb people because the producers didn't have – they didn't understand what's happening or early test audience probably didn't know what was happening. So they had to, hey, dummy, I'm doing this. Yeah. Yeah, and uh yeah, you can definitely tell he doesn't like doing it and yeah, he he fought it. he and um the director uh Ridley, Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott, thank you. Yeah. fought against this, but they lost. So, his character Deckard is, you know, getting noodles. Police come up and they say they're arresting him. So they take him back in. Uh the VO keeps going, which annoyed me. Mm-hmm. Um so and they basically Introduce the 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 idea that if Deckard doesn't come with them, either he's going or he's going to be killed. Say that again. You cut out. So it shows us that uh, at this point, it, at least I think they say 
that he's either going to be arrested or he's going to be killed. And I don't know which one it is at this point, at least arrested. It seems that way. Uh, and then his, uh, the buddy cop, I call him, the guy who likes folding origami becomes uh, an institution of the movie at this point. Oh, Edward James almost. Is that his character name or his real name? <laughs> you don't know this actor? <laughs> <laughs> Not offhand, no. Really? You've never seen Edward James, Edward James almost? I probably have seen him before. Sure. He's got that distinct pockmarked face, and here he's well, yeah. and here he's playing Gaff, and he has uh, blue contact lenses in to to make his brown eyes blue. And he also uh, speaks city speak, which is an, yes. a language they made up. It's like a combination of French, Spanish, Chinese, Japanese, Creole, Hungarian, a bunch of different things. And I really, yeah. I really like that touch. Although, I think isn't it dropped? I don't hear anyone else speak it besides this uh, Gaff. They in this. Um, version in this movie, I think they only do it a little bit to get you the idea that that's how the streets are. Okay. Once they take you off the streets, you don't hear that anymore. Gotcha. So it's kind of like the street urchin language. Sure. Not the uh, hoity-toity language, I guess, that other people speak. You mean English? I mean, you mean <laughs> speaking American? Yeah. So they take him back to. Uh, police headquarters i guess yeah. and you get inter- introduced to the chief i guess that's who it is i think they uh, he might be a lieutenant i don't remember and they go over that there's a few replicants that have made it back to earth that were workers slash combat uh, models and they've killed a few people and they got to be taken in because uh, replicants are illegal on earth Yep. So they have to go get them and retire them, which means murdering them. Yep. And that uh, Leon tried sneaking in, but they had precautions there, that which we, which we saw earlier. So he didn't get through, but he escaped. There were a total of six of them. Two of them tried going through a laser field of some kind, and they got zapped, and they're dead. We don't see them get killed, but we're told that they, were, they got zapped. So, yeah, Deckard's got to go find and blade run them to death. Retire which them. Which... Never made sense. Nope. Uh, yeah, the the whole name of Blade Runner doesn't make any sense because he doesn't use yeah. blades. There's a lot of running, I guess, but yeah, it just sounds <laughs> cool. I think is that, yeah, that's about it. And I read somewhere on the Ed credits that it was borrowed from something else. They had to ask to use it. <laughs> it was it's so weird. Awesome. So the first place Deckard goes to is the Tyrell Corporation because that's where Leon was trying to get employment. And the Tyrell Corporation, of course, is the corporation that makes all the replicants. Mm-hmm. So when he gets there, uh, Mr. Tyrell's, I guess, receptionist is named Rachel and obviously digs the early styles of the 1900s. The uh, I, I don't know what era I would put that hairstyle in the thirties, 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 forties. Yeah. So she stands out quite a bit with her hairstyle and her huge shoulder pads. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, um, Mr. Tyrell suggests that he wants to see the Voight comp test work. So he says, uh, put Rachel to the test. I want to see a fail. I want to see someone, uh, get called a human. So he goes to the test, 
just rattles off answers really fast and it's very to the point and there's like a, a fade and then the test is over and they allude to the fact that he asked over a hundred some questions mm-hmm. before he realized she was a replicant so this is apparently in a very advanced model it's i think a prototype yeah and Mr. Tyrell's really pleased with the fact that it was that difficult to mm-hmm. figure her out. And I think that Tyrell even mentions is the reason not only is she, Rachel, more advanced, has a bunch of pictures of her, her as a child to give her false memories. So that way it's um, a little bit more deep, like a cushion or something like she is is able to really think that she actually is a human because of these pictures that she can refer yeah. to, to remind herself of the childhood she never actually had. Yeah. And the other replicants have memories, but they fully know that they are replicants. And those, they know that the memories are not their own. Yep. So, except for Rachel, who thinks she's a human. Actually, doesn't Leon have a bunch of pictures? Because they mentioned yes. that he tried to go back. Well, I'm, I'm, I think I'm skipping ahead. You're, you're skipping ahead, but that, that it's fine. Um, because... <laughs> <laughs> because they kind of explain it uh, a little bit that it's uh, a replicant reaching for family. Yeah. You know, they know they don't have them, but they, that's something they end up craving. Sure. So uh, Deckard goes to the Yukon, which is the hotel where Leon was staying at. Ah. And they dig through there. Um, his little buddy does some origami with a match and they find the photos and in the tub, they find uh, a scale, and he doesn't know where it's from. So That's right. He's like, "I'll take this, this is along evidence. with the photos." Mm-hmm. And the next thing we see is that uh, Roy and Leon go to iWorld, which is a giant freezer where a, a gentleman makes eyes for replicants. Oh yeah, played by James Hong. Man, I now, love James Hong. Is that Lu Peng? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that it's it's uh, meow, uh Lo Pan from Lo Big Pan. Trouble in Little China. Oh, Mister Burton, you are here. <laughs> That's what I was expecting to hear. Yeah, like, yeah. So I love. Oh man, I love. I love me some James Hong. And and for me, uh, younger, this whole sequence of somebody working in this huge coat that's uh, got like heater powered with tubes in it, so that he can survive working in this. Uh, super frozen room. This was one of those things that really stuck out to me as a kid because it was so imaginative to me. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was really neat. Uh, and of course, you know, they want to know information on the model of their um, series of replicants because they're, uh, they want to know when their construction date was, how long they have to live. Oh yeah. Cause they want to, they want to live longer. And that's the important part is Tyrell tells us that they only have a four-year lifespan that was made as a fail-safe. Yeah, because at six years, something happens where it's almost guaranteed they're going to freak out because they they can't handle the emotions yeah. that they have. Yeah, so that's a really important part. Yep, yep. Uh, the guy in the freezer is basically is like, I, I don't know anything. I just make eyes. I just make eyes. But... In the end, uh, they strip him down so he's freezing, and, and yeah. he gives up the name J.F. Sebastian. Mm-hmm. That that's someone who would know more, and, it, oh, and help him get to Tyrell. 
Okay. Yeah, that too. Now, I they were this scene is really great because of just that feel of danger and dread. Like these guys are killer robots, basically are hu- superhuman strong, and they I don't know. It's really well done scene, and I don't remember they don't kill them though, do they? Uh they do. They do. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. because they it's because I think Roy or Leon goes over and puts his hand in. Um, not dry ice, um, uh, liquid nitrogen, kind of like, look, it's not hurting me. And don't they put his head or something in there? I can't remember. No, uh, I, th- whatever they do, I believe it was done off camera. Okay. That's why. Yeah. So it's I, I assume, left up yeah. to your imagination, really how they murder him. Sure. And maybe that's why, I mean, the, the scene was so effective because of how like, yeah, my imagination is going to be way worse what they did to him than showing me what they do to him. Yeah. But, yeah, they had to kill him to cover up their tracks. Yeah. Poor James Hong. Oh. But on the other hand, we go outside and there's 80s future cars. Oh, yeah. I love how I, the set looks. I love 80s future cars. Definitely. <laughs> love it. Uh, and it's the sequence of Deckard uh, just before going home. I'm not sure if this is where a cop tries to arrest him for being out late or whatever. I, I don't know if that's that part. But when he goes home, he finds Rachel's hanging out in front of his apartment building or mm-hmm. in the elevator. And he pulls a gun on her because she surprises him. Yeah. And she's all bummed out because I'm, – I'm, and I'm saying bummed out. That's very <laughs> understating it here. Yes. But she's basically figured out that she's a replicant, and it's, it's tearing her up. So she came to him to get confirmation that she is – Indeed, a replicant. Yeah, and she keeps showing her the photos, or, or she keeps showing Deckard her photos. Like, no, I have to be human. I remember all of this. And he's like, no, you just know that. Those are all implants. That's from actually Tyrell's family. That's not you in the picture. Yeah. Yeah. And he goes through and lists her memories for her. Yeah, until yeah. she starts saying them back, too, so... Oh yeah, do you remember going into an abandoned uh building with your your brother and then he showed you his and you showed her you showed hit your parts and just that No, she got she got shy and ran away. And then, oh shy ran away, that's what it was. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but that's a very generic childhood memory that almost anyone possibly could have had. Yeah. Yeah. So he apologizes, I'll get you a drink and then she's so upset about the fact that he is basically called her out as being a replicant yeah. that she runs off. Yep. Now we get punk rock Pris yeah. hanging out mm-hmm. and just covers herself in garbage waiting for the guy who's coming down the street, which is Mr. JF Sebastian, who I fully expect to at any moment to shout the phrase, catch a ride. Why? Which... Because he looks like Scooter from Borderlands. Oh, is that? Oh, uh, is that a video game? Yes. Oh, okay, cool. I remember <laughs> video games when in my younger years. Man, what happened? And uh, he dresses like a, a young Biff from uh, Back to the Future Two. Yeah, kind of. Mm-hmm. That's how it looked to me at first. So, so this this JF guy is obviously he doesn't get many visitors or people or and here's this pretty girl that he scares and so he invites her in. It's this huge classic building from old world, the Bradbury uh, Hotel. 
And then he uh, shows off that he, he, he calls himself a genetic designer and he makes toys. Mm-hmm. And his whole floor that he lives on is just covered with all these like animatronics and robots, kind of really neat little things all over the place. Yeah, I love it. That Yeah, he's the toy master in this huge abandoned hotel that's just dripping wet and gross. And it looks like the ceilings are a roof. It looks like it's falling apart. Just rotting, yeah. rotting away, and uh, Daryl Hannah plays Pris, and she's being very sweet and nice, but you can definitely tell she has ulterior motives for, yeah. for being as, so nice to this guy. You, they get his name out of him. Basically, you see that she's like, "I'm it." Awesome, great. It's like, oh no, poor Sebastian. You're such a nice guy, but you have a yeah. lot of creepy, creepy animatronic. Uh, toys around that are obviously <laughs> played by little people but that i mean i like it though it's really creepy good stuff mm-hmm. like mannequins and clowns and yeah good and they go back to deckard who is now looking at all his classic photos plunking on his piano so he kind of has a thing for old photos too hmm. uh-huh no no <laughs> <laughs> Uh, instead, so he grabs uh, uh, the pictures that were that he picked up from the hotel. Leon's. And this is where we get enhance. Enhance. Enhance, yep. Silly enhancing of a photo, zooming in, and it becomes more and more clear as he scans the entire photo, looking for clues. And somehow pivots angles just a little bit, but still, it, it, I swear it pivoted the angle of the photo. The photos are somehow 3D, and you can pivot to go around things, so then you can find that there's another replicant in the background. Where and hey, you know what? It's the future. Yep. We don't know. That's true. They could be 3D picture, uh, uh, yeah, picture things. So whatever. It's fine. He's, yeah. He's a detective. But I remember and he's back in the day making so much fun of this. Enhance. Yeah, and they find another lady in the picture. Yep. Uh, and then a cool part of the movie is that he goes to what I call a street scientist to investigate the uh, scale that he found in the tub. And this person examines it. It's just some lady on the street with uh, this scientific equipment. Like it is? Electron microscope and some other thing. Okay. And she informs him that it's a, it's a, a snake and she finds a model number on it, and it, it lines up with uh, some guy named Abdul who makes snakes in town. And that he should go check out his place to find out who purchased one of these snakes because they're really expensive. Yeah, because animals are going extinct, so that's why they're making animals as basically their own uh, replicants or whatever you want to call them, toys. Yeah. Yeah. In Tyrell's office, they had an owl. That's right. Oh, and the uh, important stuff is though. Yeah, Owl had it. Its eyes were reflecting like a like gold, or well, the reflecting yeah. light. And you see that in Rachel's eyes. You see that occasionally in Leon's and uh, Roy's and all the other replicants' eyes, mm-hmm. kind of like in the darkness, reflecting like a uh, a wolf or something, or owl. Yes. Yeah. So that's a really big clue. And it's it looks cool too. It looks gorgeous. Uh, so Deckard goes to see uh, Abdul, and he just threatens him a little bit, and Abdul gives away immediately where he sold a snake to recently, or I guess the only snake he sold. I don't know. I guess New so. to give up this one location, which is some uh, very upscale 
uh, bar slash strip club. club. Oh, there's strippers. Yeah. (laughs) And some sleazy guy who owns the place and Deckard starts drinking and then drunk dials Rachel. And he's like, Hey, come hang out with me. Oh, I don't like going to those type of places. But I'm drunk, and I'm yeah. Harrison Ford. Okay. I'll harass you later. No, really, I will. Just to, to say the least. We'll get to it. And it's a payphone of the future. <laughs> yep. Because it's got video on it. Oh, man, I love video screens and talk. Now that we're in the future and we have this technology. Fuck that. <laughs> Never. <laughs> So then when he gets back and he keeps drinking because he got shot down by Rachel, uh, the snake pleasure show begins. Oh. And you never see it, but you kind of allude to it through sound. And uh, Deckard goes backstage because he's pretty sure this is his lady in the photo. And he convinces this lady very quickly that he's with the union and he's concerned about uh, the performer's rights and that they're being abused here at the place, which she finds very amusing because she's doing a snake pleasure show. Mm -hmm. Come on. (laughs) It's some really bad bluffing and acting by Deckard. Like, oh, I got a silly voice, so I'm letting your defenses down and you're a pretty lady. Who are they doing anything to you in here? Yeah, and he even drops it once or twice and goes back to his regular voice. Yes. So it, it's pretty obvious that he's just sneaking his way into her uh, place. But he goes to pet the snake. Mm-hmm. And if there's anything that all of us know, that Harrison Ford tech characters hate snakes. Exactly. What's going on here? <laughs> you should not be trying to pet that snake. So she asks him to help with her top and then beats the hell out of him, chokes him, and then runs away. Yes. And they have a run through the street. She's wearing a sweet outfit as she has a, a silly uh, bra thing that kind of claps just to her shoulders, and but not really all the way around her back. It looks like a weird, yeah, just like a crab claw thing, whatever. I don't know how to describe it. And, uh, then, and then a clear um, raincoat, I guess, you can see through. Yeah. And underwear. And that's it. That's it. Although she's a I replicant, guess... so it doesn't matter that she's not cold or anything. Yeah. Either way, it takes a few minutes of chasing through the streets before she ends up on a straightaway, which happens to be through 20 different <laughs> shop windows. Yeah. And Deckard finally has an open shot on her and shoots her twice in the back. And it's this really uh, poignant uh death sequence at least it was for me that they took the time and slow motioned it and it doesn't feel like someone shooting a you know dangerous rogue robot yeah it comes across as someone shooting a panicked person running for their lives yep absolute panic they're trying to escape no matter what and they're crashing through all this glass and just trying to escape and it's a slow kill it's not blam done well, that takes care of that replicant. No, it's it's a slaughter. Uh, across the street, Leon happens to see it. Yeah. So he gets very angry. <laughs> sure. Uh, one of the police cars comes hovering in, and all you hear is a robotic voice saying, move on, move on. Nothing to see here. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad it wasn't, like, Irish-sounding. Okay, everybody. Okay. A, I was going to say... 
That's not Irish at all sounding, so I'll Oh, sure it is. Oh, this is my Irish voice. Nothing to see here. Just another woman shot in the back by Harrison Ford. You've seen it before. Move <laughs> along now. So Decker goes by as a bottle of liquor because he's not feeling so good about shooting someone in the back, even if it's a replicant. Yeah. So he kind of is starting to realize his... Uh, walls that he's built up that allowed him to be a Blade Runner for so long and retire all these replicants is starting to break down. Buddy Cop comes and takes Deckard back to who I called the Chief. Uh, yeah, and, um, Brian, or M, M, Emmett Walsh plays him. Yeah, Emmett Walsh, you've seen me around. I've always been an old man. <laughs> I like this guy. Well, you've seen him in tons of stuff. He's a character actor. Okay, bye. The big point is that they've added Rachel to the list of replicants. He's got to retire. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And he's shocked by that. Afterwards, he sees, oh, that that's right, because Chief was in a car this time. He wasn't in the office. Uh, but he sees Rachel after he uh, breaks away from the Chief here. And before he can get to Rachel, Leon jumps him and starts beating the crap out of him handedly. I mean, no problem. Of course. Like one one punch, one swat, and Deckard is ready to be murdered right then and there. Yeah. But luckily, uh, Rachel off-camera picks up the gun that was knocked away from Deckard and shoots Leon. Right in the head. Headshot. Bam. And those guns are loud. Yeah. Well, it's like, yes. It's it's future big big hand cannon in a little yeah. package, like the noisy cricket or something. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, takes, takes him out. And uh, Harrison Ford... Or Decker gets his ass handed to him constantly in this movie. Yes. Because he well, is fighting killer robots, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's just a person. Yep. Is he? Oh. oh yes, he is. <laughs> is he? Yes. Yes, he is. He's not. <laughs> he is a human, Ridley Scott. So then Decker takes Rachel back to his apartment again. He gets yeah. cleaned up. Uh, he's spitting blood everywhere. Uh, yep. He takes a shot, and he has blood in his backwash, which is a great touch mm-hmm. before he starts cleaning up. Yeah, and this is where you really start noticing how reflective Rachel's eyes are. Mm-hmm. I mean, you saw it before, but now it's, like, intense. Uh, and she asks Deckard, ever taken that test yourself? Which he doesn't answer because he's asleep. Yep, he drank a bunch, and now he's asleep. So she goes around tries through all his stuff and decides to play the music that's sitting on top of the piano. Yep. It wakes up, it wakes up Deckard. So he comes to check it out. What's going on. And she's like, I didn't even know I could play the piano. I just wanted to try and I could. So it, her full awareness that yes, she is a replicant at this point. Yeah. And I think he says something like, I'm not going to uh, retire you or something like that. Right. She said, if she would go North, would he chase her? Okay. To put her down, and he said no, but someone would. No. And then he, and this is when Deckard, or I'm going to say Harrison Ford, is making creepy eyes at her, and she's feeling that vibe, and she tries to leave. Yeah. But then Harrison Ford is like, no, and punch slams the door shut, and then proceeds to force himself upon her. Yep. And it's not sexy whatsoever. It's completely creepy. He even yeah tries kissing her. He puts his hands up kind of defensively, but is m- moving towards her. And then I think she he even tells her, no, now I want you to kiss me. Do it. 
And I think he says that a couple times, like forcing her to to do it. And it is terrible. Really, really yeah. awful. Um, I never noticed it before. This time watching it through, it's complete sexual assault. And, man, do I... I didn't really care about this character because he really didn't do much of anything. He's just kind of a boring detective going about his business, and now he's doing this. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah, this this was not a good moment in the movie. I'm assuming that it was designed to to be more along the lines of, you know, he knows that she wants to, but she's afraid to kind of, but it doesn't matter. No, she said no a couple of times and, yes. and wants to leave. Once, it doesn't matter. Say that, yeah. it, then it's creep street from then on out. Yeah. And it, it is even like when they start kissing, then the sexy saxophone swells. None of this is attractive at all. And they've never shown that they've been attracted to each other or that they're in love or anything. The chemistry is just definitely not there between the two actors whatsoever. And it definitely, yeah, yeah just, just creeps Phil. And it really makes me dislike this movie a lot now. That Even, scene is really hard to get through. Yep. So I didn't really care for the movie then, but I guess I'll wait till the end for my final judgment. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and maybe I'll just put this out there that this is, Maybe it was done on purpose for the reasons of what does it matter? She's just a replicant. Sure, because, yeah, he sees, oh, you're just a replicant, so I can force myself upon you. But then that whole thing of, well, replicants are human too, blah, blah, blah. I understand it. I just don't like it. Yeah, I agree. Even if that's the angle, it's still, ugh. Yeah, it does not make me like your character anymore that I really didn't care about before anyway. And I don't think you have to like like Deckard because if we go through the noir yes, uh, genre and look at is. all the lead actors, you don't know anything about them. They all act exactly the same. True. Very true. Yep. And he very much fits that mold. Very, very true. So we go back to Pris spray painting her face to look like a toy uh, among Sebastian's stuff. Yeah. And basically lets Roy in and Roy... Ooh. brings the creep factor uh, and I could possibly murder everyone in this room factor. Rudger Hauer, the actor, is amazing in this. And his physicality, yeah, just the crazy eyes that he gives, but also intelligence. And the problem that I find is we, he, we have a little bit of him doing stuff with Leon and then he's gone for a lot of part of the movie. Now he shows up here. Like, what was he doing? Yeah. What was going on? He's such an interesting character. I want to know more about this guy or just watch him do stuff in the city. Yeah, underutilized. Oh, definitely. So they basically use a mixture of uh, danger, sex, sex appeal, and sympathy to work over Sebastian mm-hmm. to uh, get him to agree to get them a meeting with Mr. Tyrell after, you know, he says that he understands that they're replicants and asks them about themselves and stuff like that. Yeah, Sebastian's like, I don't care. I'm alone. I have my toys here. You're replicants. I still like you guys. And he's genuine. And mm-hmm. then he even says that he has got a, a illness or something that he's only 25 or something, but he looks yep. like he's in his 40s. So he's he's aging just as fast as they are. So that's kind of how they use him to get on their side, to, yeah, to get in a, a meeting with uh, Tyrell in his pyramid 
building thing. <laughs> <laughs> so they uh, get Sebastian to take him up to the building, and he uses, I have a, a move for chess because they play chess together occasionally. Mm. And most of the time, Tyrell wins, but w- like one time, Sebastian won. So yeah, inter- they kind of help Sebastian pull off some crazy moves to win the current round to get Mr. Tyrell's uh, attention. That's right, because they're playing internet chess, basically, or phone chess or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when he lets Sebastian in, Sebastian brings in at least Roy. Pris hangs out in the background. Mr. Tyrell doesn't seem upset or no. shocked that Roy is there. It's more like, oh, hey there. Mm-hmm. What took you so long? Kind of, yeah. So he calls him the prodigal son, wants to answer his questions, but you know he tries to give Roy a feel-good uh, version of how to accept the end of his life. But Roy doesn't want to accept that, and they go through sciencey things. Yeah, well, Roy just says like, "I I want to live longer." Tyrell says that's impossible. It's just that's just the way things are. We can't let you have that. Roy says something like, uh, "I've done bad, questionable things." Uh, Tyrell's like, "It's fine. It's fine. You are an amazing design and you've done so much in just how little you've been alive. Um, you're, you're, you're a good boy. Basically. I accept your faults, but also look at your strengths and things you've done that are good or, or accomplished because you're so intelligent and becoming human like, but you do have to die. Mm-hmm. Roy doesn't care for that answer. Very Roy much. does not like that answer. So he gouges out Tyrell's eyes and murders him and squeezes his head. He gives him a nice kiss on the mouth first, but and then, yep, the little head crushing. And then uh, you also hear that they have killed Sebastian as well, too. Sebastian, yeah, runs away, but it's, yeah, later found out that he was killed off screen. And that's kind of, yeah. oh, I don't like that. It, I don't want to see it, but I also didn't like that they killed him. But again, covering their tracks, and they are getting, you know, especially Roy is getting, the, at least the impression is that he is towards the end of his lifespan more than the others. He's the older one, and he's starting to go a little bit more haywire crazy mentally. Yeah, he's more unable to deal with his emotions than the others have. Yep. Yep. After that, Deckard goes to Sebastian's place because he had learned that Sebastian was killed as well. So he checks out that apartment building first. Pris is hiding there, looking like one of the toys. It's kind of obvious that she doesn't fit in yeah so deckard is like wait a minute let me look at this and then of course pris proceeds to kick his ass yep doing quite handedly jim kata fighting which she could have easily murdered him yeah but she decided to do some extra gymnastics which opened her up to get shot yep just doing some flips and then get shot in the belly and awesome death scene as she is haywire freaking out, being shot in the stomach, and just flailing all about, all her limbs just going around and screaming. Yeah. Really, really good. The, the most robotic, uh, like, it, it's not a person dying. It's, yep. it's an invention. It, it's something else that's dying. Yep, the servos are going crazy, and it can only do this one you know, flailing motion as it's trying to continue to move. Yeah, good, good death. And then, unluckily for Deckard, 
Following right away is Roy coming back to the apartment who quickly sees the dead Pris and loses his mind even more. Yeah, 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 definitely. So he starts uh, stalking Deckard. Yeah, they toying with him. Yeah, toying with him. Ends up pulling his arm through a wall and breaking his fingers so he can't shoot his gun properly anymore. Yeah, this one is for Leon, this one is for Zora, and this is for, and then, yeah. So they have this long, protracted, uh, well, he gives Deckard a head start so that he can have more time grieving for Pris. Yep. And then is a protracted hunting sequence where Roy is going after uh, Deckard slowly, methodically, not rushing it. Mm Mm-hmm. But then along the way, he's also shutting down already. Yeah, he, yeah. Roy's running from room to room. He's taking off all his clothes. He's just in his uh, spandexy long underwear, I guess, whatever. And yeah, he's just running around, kind of just like, "Ooh, I'm having fun. Oh, I'm gonna get you. I'm gonna get you." Yeah, smashes his head through a wall and staring at Deckard, who's trying to bandage his hand up and try to so he can kind of hold on to things. And Deckard goes outside of the window and is on the rail, and then. Roy just kind of sit, punches his way through a wall and just kind of looks at him like, where are you going? Are you going up? Okay. Yeah, definitely toying with him, having fun with this, just tormenting Deckard. Mm-hmm. And he does this all the way to the rooftop, mm. and Deckard tries to jump to the next rooftop because that's his only option, being stared down by a, a replicant that's going to murder him. Yep. And he doesn't quite make it. But Roy handily makes the jump and turns around. And the the interesting part is at when he appears on the rooftop, he now has a dove. Yeah, he managed. To, Roy grabs a dove from somewhere, and yeah. it's, is it a live one or is it a real one or is it a replicant dove? I don't think it matters. It doesn't. No. So he crouches over the top of Deckard, who's slowly slipping and going to fall who knows how many stories to his death. And he says, how does it feel uh, living in um, fear all now, Mm -hmm. knowing that, you know, you're going to be hunted and murdered and waits until Deckard loses his grip, catches it, catches his hand and holds him, brings him up and sets him down and basically gives him the, I've seen so many things, the whatever off of Orion and, this and that, and it's a really good monologue. Yes. And he states how all these things that no one else has witnessed and that they're all going to go away with him. It will be lost in time like tears in the rain, and he just shuts down. Yep, his head just kind of flops down, and the dove flies away. Yep. Yep, and and uh, Decker's just staring at him, realizing, oh, you, yeah, you've become human you're passing this information along to me to to live on with you know, with that knowledge of what you've experienced and uh yeah. yeah yeah part of being human is trying to find permanence you know yep roy did all he could to pass something on of himself before the dove being his soul ascended to a off world mhm and the only problem with this is in the at least this cut that i saw is the dove goes into a blue sky, which and then it's been raining the entire time and kind of grimy, but then the sky is blue, which is interesting. I don't know if that was done on purpose or what, but mm, I don't know. I liked I, it. When I finally get around to watching the uh, final cut, which I 
purchased recently. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I purchased the uh, sequel. Um, I'll let you know because that's supposed to be now the definitive version. That if oh okay, what? So if that has it, then I'll let you know. Yeah, let us know. And then after the speech in this version, we we get kicked in the nuts by stupid studio forced voiceovers. Oh, uh-huh. That totally rip you out of the moment. Decker goes back to his apartment. It looks like it's broken into. Rachel's still there, so they run off together, apparently into some very lush green place. Yeah. They they said we headed north and we however long we Rachel was going to live, that's how long we're gonna be together or some bullshit vo yeah. And wait, wait. And yeah. Apparently she lived longer than she was expected to. Sure, why not? And yeah. this makes no sense. It's a cheesy, lame, happy ending. And all they had to do was just go a little bit north and now they're in wilderness. But I thought Canada. Canada doesn't doesn't go urban. Oh, okay. Yep, yep. So why doesn't everyone just leave the shitty city and then if they have to work there, commute. Like get, <laughs> come on. It's, it's just nonsense. Terrible I don't know. terrible ending. I'm, yeah. su- I'm sure it was completely tacked on by producers like, oh, you can't have a downer. It has to be a happy ending. Yeah. Oh, it's a love For- story, huh? Never trust producers to wow. do stuff to your movie. Of course not. So yeah. I guess the question is, how does this differ from other endings, uh, of uh, like the director's cut and stuff like that? The other ones end with Rachel and uh, Deckard getting in the elevator to leave, and it goes to black. That's fine. And that's it. No voiceover, no countryside. Mm-hmm. So. And that's a fine ending because you don't know what happens to them. and Yeah. You don't need all that other stuff. You don't need any of that at all. You don't need the voiceovers. So luckily they're in none of the other cuts have the voiceovers. That's good. All right. Yeah. Well, what did you think of a movie? Since you've had a lot more experience uh, as a kid and more viewings of this, does it... Was it a different viewing this time around? I really liked more of the the deeper portions of it this time around. So I wasn't watching it as much for the fancy of the sci-fi element. I was really watching it for the elements that are not sci-fi, that ground all the sci-fi elements into a believable, more real-feeling story. So the, the whole issue of the replicants wanting to be to live longer to the fact that they become slowly become more human but when they become more human they have to die uh and intermeshed with how actual humans in this world are are juxtaposed against so replicants are slaves it's stated that that's that's what they're built for they're built they're built for slavery but almost all the people in the well at least deckard is uh, told from the get-go, if you don't do this, we will kill you, or at least put you away for life. So he's kind of in the same situation as the replicant that don't stray from your job or you're done kind of thing. So there's this whole neat squishing of, even though the people hate the replicants uh, and fear them, they each other on the same level as replicants. It, it, it's a whole deep uh, racial kind of thing that got fit into replicants and humans and the whole what is life 
kind of thing. I, I really dug it this time around. Cool. Uh, I would say I enjoyed it much more this time around had I not really watched it as a kid. Just, I, I again, I dismissed it as a teenager of, it's pretty, but I really don't care. But I definitely loved how it looked. It's amazing. This has influenced so much of other things. I, I see all the things that's influenced, especially anime. There's so much in anime that just calls back to this movie. Yeah. This, this really pu- pushed uh, sci-fi in, in a direction. And since it was the early 80s, you see all the things it's influenced, which I really, really, really appreciate. I don't like any of the characters except the replicants. Those are the only ones I find really interesting because they're, like you said, like looking for their humanity, looking for their permanence in the world that they've been in the shitty hand that they've been dealt. I think the movie completely fails on helping you get that deeper meaning that you were talking about because I don't see enough of their suffering, seeing them act out, seeing through their replicant eyes what it's like to be human. It tries to a little bit here and there, but I don't feel it as much, especially Rutger Hauer. They they could have done so much more with him, especially how he was such a great actor in this and his ad-lib speech at the end, that monologue of Tears in the Rain is, he's the one who wrote that. Um, it was originally very technical, just saying, I saw all this cool stuff, but no one will know about it. And he's the one who made it much more po- po- poetic. And that's how mm-hmm. I feel through the rest of the movie with the dialogue and just being told all these things instead of being seen these things of being told that they're slaves, being told that they can't do these things but not seeing it. So that's how I feel. Uh, And I definitely, yes, you can delve into it more because of your experiences watching it again and again. You can get that sense of what the movie was trying to tell you. So then you're, after the movie's done, going through your own head to fill in the blanks, to to question things more about what it is to be human, which is good because the movie does a good job with that. I'm just saying it doesn't show you those things. Oh, I I completely agree. Yeah, or it doesn't really translate to those feelings very well because it's just so p- slow-paced. Um, I understand what they're doing with that, but it just, again, doesn't work for me. Sure. So Deckard isn't yeah. the character to follow in this film. No, no, no. That's what I said. I want more with the replicants. I, yeah. And, and you're right. When I said I don't care about Deckard and all the stuff he does, it's because he's not the important of the story. He's just a tool of the story to help the, the investigation and going through all these things. So he's a way, I guess, for us to identify uh, a, a person going through these weird idea of robots becoming human. I that might have been the idea of why we followed Deckard mm-hmm. instead of the replicants. And that's why I don't know. In the movie, I really like that they made you question: Is he a replicant or not? By showing those old photographs of having once been having to kill these people these replicants and not wanting to do it and all these other things of, is he possibly a replicant or not? I like that the movie doesn't have an answer at the end, at least this version. I believe the, the final cut, it makes it more obvious that yes, he is a replicant, which I don't like nothing. Not everything needs an answer. (laughs) Leaving things open is, is, I don't know. Great. Because again, human imagination and, thought of after the movie's done just really helps you fill in the blanks and makes you more attached to movies or stories that you really enjoyed. But that's just my viewpoint. Um, Maybe people really like it. I haven't seen the sequel, so I don't know if Harrison Ford's replicating that. (laughs) 
Oh man. So I just, be, I, I fit it in last night to watch the sequel. Okay. It is probably about the best sequel to a 30 year old movie that you could ever want. Nice. I'll have to check it out then. Uh, yeah. So it takes all the things that you said this movie failed at uh-huh. and it makes them work. Oh, nice. Did Ridley Scott direct that one too? No, he had nothing to do with it. He kind of just allowed it to happen. He's like a which producer, is why huh? It's so good. That's why. I, 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 yeah. Ridley Scott has great ideas, but it's that whole thing of working with other people to create something. So you don't get like the prequels where it's just George Lucas's vision or Prometheus where it's just Ridley Scott's version. And I know I'm I'm talking about other movies I shouldn't be talking about because you didn't really. Well, no. <laughs> but, but, but let's mention that Ridley Scott back in the '80s had the same type of feel in his movies that they're these vast things, that things go unsaid, that you had to figure out stuff. But when you look at Ridley Scott movies now, I mean, they're all about show. They're all about, like, we're making a summer popcorn blockbuster. Yeah, it it, kind of sucks because those people, those filmmakers have so much power and influence then is they're no longer hearing other people that are help making that movie because making a movie is such a, collaborative thing like no no i'm in charge this is my vision and my vision only like no not really it's everybody's yeah yeah so you're not just telling a story by yourself you're telling the story with the other people you're working with it sounds like something you've said somewhere else oh you mean in my other podcast roll of the dice where it's a gm's guide to help you better role play which I'm doing a little show, seamless plug here. <laughs> so if you guys role play and want to hear how to role play better, I have a podcast based upon that with another friend, Dan. It is on iTunes. Available now. Just like this one. Yes, just like this one. I guess, okay, I, did we say should we recommend this or not? Uh, despite the, the rape scene, I, I think this is worth watching just for the fact that this is the baseline of cyberpunk genre. Yep, I would agree. And that is that. So, uh, yeah, check out this podcast and my other podcast. <laughs> We're on <laughs> iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher. You can find us. Find us on Facebook. There's some Twitter action also. Rate and review would also be very cool. And, yeah, yeah that would be fan. Fantastic. Oh, if, if you tell us anything that like you, your thoughts on Blade Runner, because it's such a deep movie, I guess, and at least the story and, and so on and all the different changes they've done in the final cut. And I guess your thoughts on the sequel too, which I'm probably going to go check out now. You should. I will. <laughs> well, thanks. Ryan Gosling in it. Oh my God. Ryan Gosling. He's got such a beautiful, boring face. <laughs> Oh, that Australian. Wait, is he Australian? Yeah, he's Australian. He was a young Hercules, I heard. Oh. Yeah. And then he drew. <laughs> anyway. Uh, hey, thanks for calling in, Joe. Hey, thanks for uh, having Wait a minute. Thanks for letting me. Thanks, thanks for putting up with. Thank I you don't... for being a friend. Thank up and you down. For being a friend. The road again. Your heart is true. You're a pal in a confidant. Okay, bye. Bye.